Hi and welcome. My name is Josh Stone and welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. The Ignite podcast is dedicated purely to the engineering and construction industry. Join me as I interview serious change makers, leaders and business owners who are creating significant shifts in the industry, leading inspired teams, running successful businesses and in general making big things happen. As the old saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This podcast is all about bringing like-minded change makers, leaders, and business owners in the engineering and construction industry together to share their stories, their strategies, their ideas, and their mindset on what's working for them right now in order to help you learn from the best to implement and to grow as well. Now, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. In the meantime, hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Ignite uh, podcast. Sam being joined by Priscilla Radici. Priscilla, welcome. Uh, thank you, Josh. Thanks for inviting me on. It's great to have you doing this podcast. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far and look forward to continue it in the years to come. Um, so as a, as, a, as a starting point, maybe let um, everyone know just a bit about you and your, your journey to date. Um, wait, what, what got you to where you are right now? Okay. Uh, well, I've had a fairly uh, eclectic journey, if you want to use that word. I'm a sociologist that has worked in infrastructure for 25 years, so not normally a fit, uh, not coming from an engineering background. Uh, I've worked in lots of different sectors. Uh, so I've worked in fashion merchandising for major department stores. Uh, I've owned my own kind of businesses. I've worked in retail. I've worked in tourism uh, and economic development for cities and placemaking. So um, all the way from the cruise industry to rail and ports and maritime. Wow. So uh, lots of big projects for quite a long time. Uh, the types of roles that I've led were head of uh, strategic projects for the Port of Brisbane when we were privatised, really looking at all of those new opportunities that were available to us as a private entity. So things like the business case for the new international cruise terminal, uh, the Port Drive uh, expansion, and of course, the uh, Port Connection, which stimulated things like inland rail. Uh, and back in Newcastle, when BHP closed, I worked instrumentally with a range of different players across the Hunter Valley economic development areas, introducing uh, new tourism, service industries, helping to bring uh, the university into the city centre. So really, how do we reactivate different economies? Uh, and here in Queensland, uh, I used to be a principal at Arup, a global engineering firm, where I led the business strategy for Asia-Pacific in transport and resources with a fantastic team uh, and we transformed our business model, uh, grew the business considerably uh, and really kind of shifted our focus to be far more purpose-driven around our clients and what our clients were looking for and that was really successful. I started my own company a couple of years ago called Contribute Consulting 
uh, and I provide advisory services across a range of different small and large clients, legal, engineering, uh, medico, uh, and as part of that, I'm also the CEO of the Infrastructure Association of Queensland. So that's the peak body that represents the industry uh, as, a, as a whole. We're quite unusual in the fact that we're a very broad church. We're not just after construction or engineering or legal. We look after all the many different players across the many different sectors that make up infrastructure. And I also work a lot uh, in the health sector doing assurance work and strategic uh, advisory around how we look at uh, the investment decisions around health and uh, get the best outcomes out of that capex spend. Holy Toledo. <laughs> there you go. Um, I live in the middle of a 12-year-old boy. He's just started high school, and so we've got the roller coaster ride of high school in our house, which is Oh, great. yeah. So you don't get much, uh, not much downtime then. <laughs> well, as we were just discussing, uh, you've got to carve out downtime, otherwise you can't you be a leader, so it's got to be a priority. So I do try and do that. Yeah, good. Um, well, amazing, you know, so there's so much there for us to uh, explore in today's um, podcast. I think probably where I'd like to, to start um, is looking at, so curious about leadership and I'm curious about your views on, you know, where the industry is going this year and that kind of thing. So I do want to dive into that um, in terms of where you see things going this year and into the beyond. Um, I kind of want to start, like I know we, we caught up a couple of years ago and recorded a, a, a similar podcast for, for different reasons um, and you talked a lot about your journey at Arup and um, wouldn't mind starting there just in terms of like your leadership role at Arup and, um, you know, what, what your learnings were from a leadership point of view in terms of obviously that being quite successful venture yeah, maybe tell us a bit about what you learnt in that role. Uh, I learnt that when you don't have a clear mandate uh, for change, that it can be really difficult for people to accept that you are kind of on a change journey yep. and that when you are doing things on a large scale for change and if you're not clear that it's a change journey but you're talking about it as a continuous improvement kind of business journey, that uh, you're not really being fair to people, that you have to... Uh, fundamentally define how big it is and take people on that journey uh, and that my pace isn't necessarily the same pace as others. So as a leader, you've got to be able to slow down and bring people with you uh, or you've got to be able to find a way that you can um, help people pick up the pace. Uh, we had an amazing team, but there wasn't really, really strong alignment at the beginning for a little while in what we were trying to do. Uh, and, and, you know, some of that comes down to communication. Uh, when you have a really, really strong culture and it's a really positive culture, but the business does need to change and adapt, you have to be really respectful of the culture that exists and how you are going to respect that culture in this new journey. Um, so they're probably the biggest lessons for me, but getting a clear mandate at the beginning, because if you're very new to a company and you're very different in the profile of a company, uh, it took me a little while to recognise that, uh, you know, you're not necessarily seen as an agent for change in a positive light. Um, different people respond to change really differently. Uh, so it's it's... It, it was a great journey for me in terms of both my technical skills for strategic thinking. I'd never worked for a big global firm before, so yep. the size and scale, uh, 
lots of great projects and opportunities. But what I did find across the consulting industry and working in IQ and working with lots of different companies now, size and scale, is that I find that there's a very common trend that everyone is billable and everybody's incredibly busy and everybody's in delivery mode and nobody is really focused on the business. And so if you don't have anyone actually looking after the strategic interests of those businesses and making those big decisions, especially in a massively changing environment and an accelerating environment, uh, then you're not setting yourself up for success. Mm. And I know you and I had a brief conversation about that um, before we before we hit record around, and I'm seeing that with all of my clients across the industry at the moment, is that strategic piece um, getting left behind because everyone's so busy and forgetting about so there's plenty of work on. Um, I find when there's heaps of work on, you can become a bit complacent about the future mm. in terms of where things are going and um, future proofing and future planning for the team, the business, that kind of thing, because you're just so busy uh, delivering. And so I guess um, what are your insights? Like what are you so, – so for individuals who are in leadership roles, for business owners who are really struggling with carving out that time for strategic thinking, for strategic meetings, that kind of thing, like what, what are your recommendations? How are you going about it? How are you seeing people go about it? Uh, in the industry yeah, at the moment. Look, it's, it's really, really hard. Like at, at the end of the day, we are, I feel like, you know, I've started 2022 and it's just an extension of 2021. I know I'm tired, I'm stressed. I didn't get that carb out of time that I always do for Christmas. I only had a week off. We're all balancing this kind of new way of working, incredibly busy. Most people have really big family issues they're dealing with. They're dealing with sickness, they're dealing with COVID, other issues, ageing parents, the mental health issues of people are spiralling, especially in young populations. And so we're all juggling and holding so much. Uh, so I think that it's perfectly normal that you're going to default to your normal business. We've been doing it this way for a long time. We just keep churning and burning. And you feel that you just have to keep getting bigger and bigger and doing more and more of the same. I just don't think that's sustainable either for individuals or for businesses. I see businesses having a lot of focus on people's individual capability, which is fantastic. Less businesses having a focus on their business capability as a whole. I think there's a gap there. Uh, but fundamentally, you have to sit down and work out what works for you. So how do you carve out that time? Where is the best time for you to think? Is it lying in the bathtub? Is it walking the dog? Is it having a swim at the pool? Is it going to the ocean? And you need to make that really clear to your team that I carve out this time and I turn off my emails and I turn off my phone and I am not available. Um, and you should have empowered your team that if you're not available, that they, that they can cope. Um, you know, yes. that there should be, you know, and that there's a way to contact you if it's a proper emergency, but most things aren't proper emergencies. Uh, but if you provide your team with what that structure is, your team will actually will love you for having a rhythm where, oh, you know, she answers emails at this particular time, this is her rhythm, this is the time when she's picking up and dropping off the kids, don't ring her unless you need to, she's only going to be annoyed, and don't hang around outside of your leader's toilet waiting to have a conversation with them because that never goes down well either. 
Um, but if you don't carve out the time, you're failing your team and you're setting an example. Uh, it's, it, but it's incredibly hard. You've got to be really disciplined. And with any kind of new habit and new way of working, you need the support of your team around you. You need to articulate it. You need your leaders support to do it. So, you know, quite often in our field, you know, people come up through a really technical stream. Um, they're, they're very process orientated. And then they are asked to take these generalist positions with a wide range of other skills that are actually, they've never necessarily been trained in, they don't necessarily have. And you have to take the time in each step of your career when it's expanding and growing and you have more responsibility. What are these new skills that I need to learn and how am I going to look after myself and my team's health? Yeah. But it's no, it's not an easy task. Like I've... I feel like I'm repeating all of those things that I always said consulting firms don't do well around carving out time and looking for that. And then as a freelancer, I've only been in this two years and I'm still saying yes to too many things and then finding myself stressed with work. So, you know, there's no, uh, it's an ongoing, you know, we default to those behaviours of saying yes and taking on too much. Yeah. Um, and how you balance that, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's um it's interesting for me, and thank you so much for that download because it's opened up a lot of thoughts for me, um, and and kind of where I want to direct the conversation. It's like really that for me anyway. It's that self awareness piece, right? So, you know, I've I've just I've just um come off today a, a group coaching session with with a team at GHD. I do a lot of work with um with those kind of organisations and um we were talking about, you know, these patterns of behaviour that don't service and the self-awareness piece. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a particular gentleman who I've worked with for probably the past three years and he's like, I thought I dealt with that pattern of behaviour two or three years ago in terms of it not serving me. But now that I've got really busy again, it's, re- it's kind of rearing its head and it's coming up. And he's like, you know, it's just this ongoing kind of process of peeling back the layers Um you know, I liken it to an onion. You know, you peel back one layer and you go, oh, that's cool, I've dealt with that, um, you know, part of my personality or that non-serving thought or pattern of behaviour. But often in times of stress and often in times of overwhelm, those things come up again to be dealt with and processed again. So um, what kind of work have you done or, or it, I guess I'm leaning towards a self-awareness piece and, and mm. what would you recommend people do? Um, to kind of get clearer on themselves, their priorities, their personality styles, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I've been on a big kind of journey for this myself. I have a personality that people is quite binary. People either really love it and embrace it or they really don't like it. And so, um, you know, my dad used to say to me when I was a little girl, for a small person you uh, have a big impact. Um, And so... Uh, being conscious that not everyone sees that energy or that impact in a positive way. So being really uh, understanding when you walk into a room as a leader, everyone is looking to you and how you set that tone, um, how you respond in times of stress, how you stay kind of well-mannered, how you stay curious and open, but you can have critical conversations when people aren't performing. And that level of consistency, never underestimate how everything you do is analysed. Um, and, and that we will, don't, don't um, disrespect your personality. What makes my impact great is uh, that's what's made me 
be a leader and actually deliver on a whole pile of legacy things in a, a lot of different sectors. But it took me a long time to um, be positive about that because so much of the impact that I, you know, the feedback that I would get is that I needed to tone it down. I needed to adjust for other people. I needed to change my style. It was always my fault. Um, and you get really defensive. And when you're defensive, it's never positive. Um, and so when you're a bit of an outlier and you're a little bit different, you've got to be able to be genuine to who you are. But I, I don't have a lot of truck with this authenticity word because you can be authentically awful and authentically rude um, or you can be authentically eccentric but not actually deliver what the client needs. I think if you can be considerate as a leader, then that um, is gives you that pause and that consideration for when you're just about to do whatever it is that you're about to do, just factor in that pause. You know, quite often it's the things your parents used to say to you, count to 10 uh, and think about it. And and do I really need to say this? Like when do you need to have the critical conversation? When do you not? Um, and knowing who your safe people are. So sometimes you just need to be able to go and have an event and you need to know who those people are so you can let that out and have that because that's your default and then you can collect yourself and go and have the conversation that you need to have um, but you know it's a constant journey and sometimes your your leadership style you know everyone's got different language they use or whichever model they like uh, but if you think about that opportunistic style where you just get in and you've got stuff to be done those characteristic traits every business needs and sometimes they're the traits you've got to be able to kind of wear but depending on what role you're being asked to do at what time and where, then you need those kind of alchemy and strategies, bring people together, be the connector. Um, but you've got to be able to pick and choose your time. But don't bury who you are as a person because that's never going to work. Mm. That's, yeah. I, I do a lot of work with my clients around personality profiling, structure of teams and businesses. And, you know, if you are what I call an unconscious business owner or unconscious business leader, you'll often recruit and hire a whole bunch of mini me's which are people that are the same yeah. as you because you're like oh you're awesome you're just like me yeah, I'm comfortable talking to you yeah. and I think that's one of the things you need to surround yourself with people who make you uncomfortable 100%. and if you can't get used to being uncomfortable then you probably you know you're not going to survive in a rapidly changing accelerating world because all the things that you think are solid no longer are. I think the set of assumptions that we are approaching our industry with probably don't hold true. Mm. So before I jump onto the next sort of um, line of questioning um, and train of thought around, you know, the state of the industry and where you think things are going this year, I just want to wrap up that that piece around whether we call it leadership. I, I just think that it's so important at the moment to have that level of self-awareness and it's not only awareness of your Self, I think it starts with you in terms of your awareness of your personality strengths, your personality, whether it's your profile, but, but how you, what motivates you, what demotivates you, what you're really good at, what you're not so good at, um, and then extending that to the, the team and the people around you in terms of, you know, recognising that your personality style, the way that comes natural to you, um, you know, might rub someone else the wrong way. And it doesn't mean that there's a... It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong there. It just means that there's a potential clash so that you then as the leader need to tailor your approach to get the best out of that outcome. Um, and that's really that self-awareness piece that we're talking about, um, you know, awareness of you, awareness of your leadership style, um, awareness of your team, 
um, and then extending that self-awareness into what's the best outcome for the situation? How do I get the best outcome? And do I need to tailor my approach um, or my natural approach to get that best outcome? What are your views on on that? I think everything you've said is true and and that's correct. I think it's a little bit like everyone's a leader. At Mm. the end of the day, if you're in a team, you're leading something. You are responsible or accountable for some part of that. It's a bit like when people talk about, oh, the marketing team will do that. Well, if you're in consulting or you're delivering or if you're in the service based industry, every single person's a marketer. And if you're not, you're not doing your job. And leadership's a bit the same. It's seen as, and I think the literature's failed us for decades. It's seen as this thing that you read a book and you pick up and you do it and then you're a leader and it's fine. And you know, the nature nurture debate of leaders. Fundamentally, there's just, uh, you have a responsibility uh, and your accountability and how you go about taking the people that you're responsible for and the outcome that you're responsible for achieving and how you go about doing that in an open, transparent way. Um, There's not enough empathy. Our industry is full of the stereotypical alpha male and, and they are seen as the they get the job done, but how do they get the job done and what the cost is of that for culture and people along the way? We don't have enough diversity in our industry. We hire really similar people. We ask for really similar specs. And that's not just diversity of gender, which is horrendous in our industry, but it's also um, race, uh, backgrounds. So many of the big firms hire out of the same stream of private schools, first-class honours, sandstone universities, where is the diversity from any of that? You know, if someone has come up out of a poor socioeconomic background, they might have had, um, you know, been working three jobs while they're at university and they've come through, you know, they are going to give your company such a huge big remit of all sorts of brilliance and yeah. hard work and tenacity. Um, and yet we kind of follow these really similar streams, which I don't think help us. Um, and we need more courage, you know, fundamentally, the, the courage to um, truly collaborate, to think about change, to do things differently, to be a bit vulnerable. Um, a word that I used, I did a 360 with a, a company where, and it was, it was a brand 360, not just a leadership 360. We do lots of, but, you know, what were, what, what were the perceptions of me? Trying to unpack perception versus reality. And the spectrum of stuff in that was amazing. And it was a confronting thing to do. Um, but it was a really positive thing. There was so much great feedback from that. That was both, um, and nearly everyone approached it in a way to provide genuine, this is amazing how you do this, but this is what happens when you do it this way. Uh, and the generosity of people to really give that positive feedback. So the ability to do those sorts of things, because quite often, you know, we all approach a situation with a whole bunch of assumptions and biases and we don't see ourselves the way other people see us. Um, and so using those tools and being really um, genuine in wanting to know and being able to take criticism and it should be given politely, it not isn't always done that way uh but being able to take criticism go actually i'm going to learn from that what does that mean for me and acting on that um yeah it's the um it's the ego piece isn't it it's it's really to be 
And I love to your point about everyone's a leader, 100% agree. Everyone has the opportunity to lead in their own right, regardless of whether mm. they have, have that title. Um, I know plenty but, of people with big titles and they're not leaders. Exactly. I yep, 100% agree. Um, it's the it's the ego piece and it's the humility piece in terms of being able to be self-aware and conscious enough to check your ego at the door when you're getting feedback or even even to just be open to other ways of doing things or people's mm. people's different viewpoints. And I love your your um, your description about our industry and where it's sort of heading. And it could be so much better if we allowed those other more diverse viewpoints in. And it's always, you know, it's that, that sort of saying about, you know, what got us to where we are won't get us to where we want to be going, but we have to be willing to do things differently and, um, and, and hire those individuals that have different backgrounds, different upbringings. So they bring that hunger to, to the workforce. Um, but it is that ego piece and being able to willingly see feedback as an opportunity to grow not an attack on your ego um and i think that's such a big point and it is a big self-growth journey and people do self-growth both at home or in the workplace but you know if if uh, if you're not on that journey we all need to grow and change and there's all sorts of different things that we deal with at different times in our lives and you have to consciously um, look at that self-growth in the same way as you look at your physical health or your, you know, it is essentially your mental health. It, it's it's the best person that you can be and that's a really continuous journey. I think the other thing leaders need to really be is curious. You need to understand what is going on geopolitically. You need to have a sense of uh, what is happening in other industries, uh, what is happening across sectors that you're not involved in. And so surround yourself with mentors and people that work outside of your spheres is really, really important. Um, I think the other thing with our industry is we overcomplicate it. At the end of the day, uh, infrastructure is a knowledge-based industry. Whether you're building the very best bridge, you're designing a road, uh, you're getting a community to accept a new project or you're designing a collaborative contract. What, on that whole ecosystem of broad church of infrastructure, the common factor is that we are renting out parts of our brain to a client on an hourly fee. That's the simple model. And you can do that under the uh, auspices of a 200,000-person global brand or under your own freelance model. And there's every spectrum in between. But at the end of the day, we're relationship-based. And I think clients are, the systems and processes have not caught up with how uh, new we could be in all sorts of different models um, and bringing the right people into the table across a range of things. So we're still very company-orientated, but the... um, company and the brand and what that brings if it's not purpose-driven if you're not adding value under that brand then the great kind of resignation you know we're seeing so many kind of one person bands pop up or two or three like it's a real trend across the industry the processes the litigation the risk etc at the moment hasn't quite caught up but we all know we need to do it differently and so as a company and as a leader if you can't attract the best talent that will be your fundamental issue. And while we've got the skills and capacity shortages that we do, that's a global issue. You know, Fortress Australia has made it difficult to bring in a whole pile of international people. 
but we've also got a whole pile of young people going, I don't want to work the way you people. I don't want to work seven days a week, 15 hours a day. Like, that's not what I want to do. Um, and so if you don't want that great resignation to actually go into the gig economy, and although I'd say the gig economy is moving into our sector as well, um, but there's lots of different jobs that will come up. Every new technology, it takes about a decade, but it creates double the amount of jobs. And so there are a whole pile of jobs in our industry that won't exist at all in 10 years' time. They can be done by machines, but there will be all sorts of new jobs. And most of those jobs are in what we currently derogatively call, uh, I think I just mispronounced that word, but you know what I mean, okay. um, soft skills. Yes. They're not soft skills. Soft skills are the skills that are human-based, the yep. skills that machines can't do. You know, it's the, you can run all the data, but if you don't know what the data means, you can't see the pattern and you can't analyse it to actually solve the problem or explain to a client that if you pull that lever, these are the consequences and how does that work through? Or if you can't tell a story, then, you know, you're not going to survive in that world. So we've got to stop calling them soft skills and we need to start building them across our industry far more because it will make better engineers of people. It will make better people of people. And, and those generalist skills are what will make a difference to your teams. Uh, so glad you brought that up because, I mean, that's fundamentally what, what I do and why I started my business because I agree like we we invest so much time effort energy and training around the technical elements and I 100% agree technical elements you need to understand and know the fundamentals but you're right like in 10 years time a lot of those technical aspects will be run uh, by machines I saw a thing on LinkedIn yesterday about how you can plug into a program now and it just builds the entire steel framework including sizes and beam elements in five minutes or something like that and pulls out all yep. the members like that's that's two days work for us for a structural engineer that now programs are doing in five minutes so it's that's been the case in other industries for a long time it's just been more difficult in the horizontal land but it's getting less difficult yeah uh, but it's not an either or we have these really mutually exclusive conversations well you have to have the technical skills it's like yeah you do there's a foundation but that technical person might not be the best person to lead this team or they might be because they are on a growth journey or they're in that space like it's yeah it's horses for courses as well and you'll always need the human element and there'll always be problems that are really difficult to solve in the engineering world um and how, how you marry that and where you think those different patterns are going. But from a Queensland perspective, um, you know, from a global perspective, there has never been a better time to be in infrastructure. And so there are elements that will be automated, and or, but there are huge amounts of work that are not going to be automated. So, you know, in Queensland, we've got, we are on the world stage, both in terms of the 2032 Olympics and everything that that brings, both commercially and culturally, um, it places us on the world stage. It places us as at that time will be the main capital city with everyone's focus on it. We need to start looking north to Asia and that role and not over our shoulder to the south. Um, and in terms of our natural ingredients, our natural resources, our critical minerals, um, how much water we've got up north, what we can do to not only kind of export the raw materials but actually shift into uh, the research and the development and the manufacturing of, you know, green steel, for example. There are lots of opportunities for us and Queensland has every single ingredient needed across biomedicine, technology space, defence, rockets, uh, ag agribusiness, 
Uh, and all of those businesses need infrastructure. Infrastructure by its very name, infra, it's the spaces in between. It is our job to connect people and industry. Uh, and it's just exciting and, and extraordinary opportunities in Queensland. It is. And I, and I guess that leads into that, that next question. Like your, your, like what are your views on uh, this year? But also, I mean, we're obviously 2032s, you know, 10 years away. Um, where do you think the industry is going to go? Like what are the opportunities that are going to emerge over this next little phase um, for businesses that are in the infrastructure f- space? Super busy? Do you reckon it'll drop off? Or, yeah, what are your views? Because we're cycles. So, and, you know, it's a big sector. Yep. So uh, it'll be different kind of cycles and timing for different pieces. Uh, public infrastructure spend will only get bigger. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the social infrastructure. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it started getting called social because they're bringing in PPPs, et cetera, but a hospital and a school are quite different versus a water pipeline or, a, you know, public infrastructure. There is so much spend in schools, hospitals, correctional, um, road, rail. In the Queensland context, a lot of infrastructure sits under the government banner. Uh, but from a private sector, the amount of uh, moving forward in resources, the critical minerals, um, energy, water, uh, transgrid, and then there's all of the private stuff that's happening in manufacturing, etc. There's a real shift now, fundamentally, finally, towards understanding that we are delivering infrastructure for people. So precinct and place and companies that can get their act together around how you actually sell that conversation around, you know, what's called cities or placemaking or, you know, everyone's got a different way of how they're trying to attract that market. Uh, but every client really wants to understand how you bring land use planning, transport planning, this overarching ecosystem approach. Uh, I think one of the critical things in Queensland is how do we unite the public sector and the private sector? There's lots of opportunity where some of this public infrastructure could be delivered by the private sector, enabling government to invest in other areas. I think the games is transformational, obviously. Big global city, it will transform what Brisbane and South East Queensland looks like, but that is not an SEQ versus the rest conversation. If your major region in your city is growing your capital, then the whole of the state is growing. Um, There are some big issues, though, around climate change. How do we respond to that? What will that mean for water security? And what regions have the right characteristics for this new green economy opportunities? Which ones don't? And how do we have that really honest conversation around the kind of winners and losers of different areas because, we're, you know, we could have mass population migration to SEQ because they don't have any water in certain regions. So having that holistic view around uh, the opportunities and the challenges and how we bring them together. So And infrastructure is glued to every single one of those conversations. So there's huge amounts of work. It's the smart businesses that bring the best talent and have this mindset to think outside of the delivery of one single project that will start to be able to be vertically integrated and there'll be more opportunities for that. I do think government need to adapt their processes to have more flexibility of who can come in. There's a lot of people and new businesses and companies that come from huge amounts of experience that are locked out of the market. The prequels are very prescriptive. Um, insurance issues um, that you need to have experience under your corporate banner and that the individual experience is not counted. 
Um, so there's there's a there's a leaders that aren't allowing for these new innovative models to come up. Um, but the pipeline of work is it's only getting bigger, uh, and it's both private and public sector. But I think it is patchy in terms of the type of business you are and how easy it is to get into the train. Because mm-hmm. in the same way as we're all busy doing doing doing, clients get really busy doing doing doing, and they default to the people that they've always used. So how you pitch something really different and actually get a foot in the door, I think is harder at the moment because everybody is busy. What do you, um, yeah, that's super interesting. And and I guess in terms of like if you are a a business leader, business owner, and you are looking to either get into infrastructure or get more work in infrastructure, like what do you think these companies need now in terms of leadership? Like how do you go about strategically positioning yourself to make the most of this infrastructure and, and the insane amount of work that's coming? Like, what do you, what do you think are the core leadership skills or traits um, required to win? Uh, well, you've, you've got to be able to uh, sell. You've got to mm-hmm. be able to get through the door and be personable. Um, you've got to think about the problem that clients are trying to solve. So there's no point knocking on the door going, I'm amazing and I've assembled these amazing people and where you should give us work. Um, what's the problem and what a unique, you know, aspect are you bringing to the table? Why should they hire you? Um, and if they don't know you, um, what are your, what's the ways around getting to know them? So how are you getting involved? How are you making connections? Because if your first connection is essentially transactional, we're a new business and you should give it to us, uh, you're unlikely to be successful. Yeah. So having those broader networks, those connections, getting involved in things that, you know, aren't necessarily um, going to give you a return straight away. So, you know, many members of the Infrastructure Association of Queensland, they join for legacy. They're like, we're busy, we're crazy busy. We don't, I don't want any of that BD. We want to help you create a vision around infrastructure. We want to solve some of these issues. We want to support the emerging professionals uh, and make sure that we're supporting them and we're supporting our emerging professionals and you've got this great network and they can join. Um, and also working on initiatives. We do lots of partnerships with initiatives where we have smart companies and members that get involved and they give unbillable time because they know that that will build rapport and they'll build those relationships and they'll spend their time. IAQ is one method for doing that, but there's lots of other ones. Um, and I think especially in a Queensland, but a, a national conference in Australia, First Nations and how we actually truly provide a proper voice in infrastructure decision-making and in design and being respectful for country. And so engaging yourself in areas where you know that we could be doing better and find ways of doing better because it's a whole other way of telling a story and actually giving, you know, making a difference, which actually for many clients, they go, wow, that was a big problem and that's important to me and now I actually want to have a conversation with you. But you need to get out and meet people and have the right conversations and be active listeners. Um, you know, our industry is full of people that like to tell you how fabulous they are, um, but they're not necessarily listening to clients' problems. I just had a client the other day where I had introduced some people to them and, you know, they're doing some work and that's great. Uh, and then she was saying, you know, they'd been badgering me for a meeting even though I'd set it up. We had a meeting and they didn't listen to a word I said. Um, and so you still get a lot of this kind of we're rapidly doing the problem and we've got this and we'll own the whiteboard and 
but just the, the spend the time listening and it might take you two years having a meeting with someone and you think, I'm never going to make a deal with this person, but just put that out of your head. You're actually just learning about their problems. That will help you more broadly. You're building a relationship with them. There might be something that you can help and be an interconnector, be a spanner. I can't really help you with that, but I know this person who can, and I think you should get to meet them. And then you've added value, even though it's not necessarily value for your business, but reciprocity is true. Like, you know, giving is where you get back. And I think that if you're trying to get into an industry, thinking about how you do it differently and how you, but, you know, we've all got overheads and how you start and how you do that. It's incredibly stressful. So I'm not suggesting it's all kumbaya, but there's lots of different ways to brand yourself. Um, mm. And those ways will also help you attract talent because if you don't have the great talent, then you're not going to grow. Yeah, you can't deliver on the promises that you've made in the, in yeah. the, uh, in the cell phase. Um, and, you know, and, and match your clients. Do a lot of research about your clients. Understand them. Some clients, there might be a whole pile of work there, but it might not be the right work for you. It yep. might not provide you reasonable profit. It might not be the place to grow. And, and if you're a $20 million business, you might not want to be a $100 million business. How do you innovatively stay a $20 million business in a way where you're not in the growth cycle and the mouse wheel of our industry, which is really hard to jump off? Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of courage to jump off that mouse wheel. But guess what? You start, you start a whole new conversation and you take people with you and you carve out, carve out. And that comes back to that whole piece you started with, the strategic headspace. Yes. Um, and it really comes down to like understanding your client's world, stopping, pausing, not really, not, not approaching the conversation or the discussion from a, a viewpoint of this is how it's always been done. Therefore, that's how it's always going to be done. Actually, um, understanding your client's world, their values, what they really need help with. Um, I love what you said around listening and then actually tailoring your approach, your discussion, your everything to that particular client to, to show them that you actually care about them, their world, the outcomes they want on their project. Um, and over time, that approach builds a, a relationship for life. Absolutely. Completely agree. Mm. And for the bigger companies, this isn't just about SMEs, work together. You know, yeah. I, you know, I've been a client for a long time. I don't know how many times companies would come to me and I'd hear from their maritime team and then I might hear from their transport planning team and then two weeks later I'd hear from their environment team. Clients are really, really busy and they don't want you to just come and solve one small or tell them one small thing. They want to understand how they're going to solve this bigger picture. And so the benefit of big companies is that you can bring all of these smarts together in a really integrated way. And so don't let your business models get in the way of true collaboration because that's what your clients are looking for and that's why they'll pay for the big brands and the big outcomes because you can deliver all of that value. Uh, but, you know, the operating models and the KPIs sometimes don't necessarily incentivize true collaboration. Totally agree. Um Priscilla, I've got one final question for you, and I, I haven't actually prepared you for this, but that's okay. Well, you haven't um, prepared you for any of them. You've gone off script the whole thing, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so say, I mean, with all the knowledge and all the things that you've amassed over the course of your career um, and the things that you now know um, lead to success and the things that, you know, now lead to, you know, not success and learnings, that sort of thing, Say you're sitting down with a 10-year younger version of yourself. What advice would you give? 
Okay, 20. What, adv- <laughs> what advice would you give, you know, the younger version of yourself um, in terms of, you know, career and life? Um, I think one of them would be unpack who's giving you feedback and what their uh, rationale is for giving you that feedback. So who do you really, who truly should you listen to in those 360s and who is not giving you feedback from a place of goodwill? Um, I've spent an awful lot of time trying to please people that I really didn't need to um, and probably shouldn't have and would have got there a lot faster just, you know, so being conscious of where people are coming from. Uh, be proud of who you are and the skills and your difference. If you're a different player, then that's what we need in the world and do that. Uh, and be really conscious of your consistency and your impact. You know, um, I can still default to being a pretty brusque, abrupt, like let's just go, go, go. I, you know, I go to a million miles an hour and I'm not always respectful for other people's paces. Uh, and that's a default behaviour that I still continue to do and regret. Uh, and so just be really conscious that, you know, be kind to yourself, carve out that time and that it's a continual learning process. You don't suddenly go, oh, I'm the perfect human now um, and, yeah. you know, done. You know, to be a good person, you're constantly learning um, and you have good days and bad days um, and, and, and just be the best you can be. And when you do make a mistake with your team, own it and apologise. Amazing. Priscilla, thank you so much for... Uh, agreeing to catch up. I apologise. I did go off script a fair bit there. All right. um, <laughs> well, it might, can... might not be. There might be nothing useful for you to use. You'll see. No, no, it was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely loved the conversation. Um, where can people follow along in your journey and connect with you? Oh, I am on LinkedIn. I'm a yep. terrible person for using it and a lot of my uh, work is non-disclosure. So, um, But from an IAQ perspective, you can find me on the website, very easy to find, um, and from a... Uh, you know, contribute consulting point of view. I'm a little bit hidden, uh, but you can always access me on LinkedIn or IAQ, um, pretty approachable person. Amazing. Well, again, thank you. I've loved our convo. Didn't matter if it went off script. It was awesome. So thanks for agreeing to catch up. Oh, thanks, Josh. It was great to catch up. It's always lovely to hear from you and have a chance to chat and know your career is soaring with your learnings and lessons. And I meet many people across the industry that you've touched and helped along the way. So you're having an impact, which is great. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Don't forget, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources. Or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. Don't forget also to hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Take care, my friends, and see you again soon.